for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. So I originally interviewed today's guest, Kristen Bummer, for the Health Coaches Podcast, but she dropped so many useful nuggets for us civilians, I couldn't just keep this for coaches. So enjoy. So Kristen used to lavish care on dogs via her canine kingdom business, and now she coaches humans to give similar consideration to themselves. It's kind of funny to think about. We have to be coached and trained to treat ourselves as well as we would want our dogs to be treated. So Kristen went plant based in 2011. Uh, she proudly told me before folks Forks Over Knives was released just before. And in fact, she said she turned vegan overnight which immediately made me wonder, like, how does a person like that relate to clients who go backwards and forwards and don't keep their promises to themselves the way she'd been able to? Like, she's just this amazing, you know, bundle of willpower. She makes a decision and never looks back. Um, but then Kristen revealed her own secret behavior during pregnancy when she added Starbucks lattes, then non vegan scones, then Panera chocolate chip cookies, even while she was an ethical vegan activist. So sneaking in this non vegan food, so a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance um, in, in her life at that point. So she said she snapped out of it. And again, it was an overnight uh, snapping out after she named it a processed food addiction. She gave it a name, and this was under the guidance of Chef AJ and John Pierre's Ultimate Weight Loss Program. And she made a rule for herself, committing to abstaining from flour, sugar, and alcohol. So originally, this again, this was for the uh, Health Coaches podcast. So then we talked about what she learned from her experiences to become a coach and how she works on coaching people. And and she shared how she works not so much on the details of the food plan or the workout plan, which ultimately are kind of trivialities, but really works on the mindset and the deep internal dialogues that determine our actions. So, for example, many women in caretaker roles abandon their own needs due to a belief that I don't matter. And eventually, as those around them demand more and more of their time and attention, they become resentful. And so you can easily tell this person, well, you need to block off 30 minutes to do yoga in the morning, put it in your calendar. But that's not going to solve the problem until we help the person come from a different belief, a different understanding of themselves, a different rule about who they are and how they show up in the world. So we spent some time in, in unpacking the practice of intuitive coaching, which involves trusting oneself as a coach and also trusting the client and engaging in deep curiosity driven listening. And I called this episode how to become intuitive, because I think this skill of deep listening to ourselves is crucial for all of us. Like we can we all have the capacity to some extent to coach ourselves. And when we are in a mode of I am trying to, you know, for self mastery, which, of course, implies master and slave, right? it's a dichotomy that some part of us is going to master some other part of us. We're getting into a conflict that can never be resolved. Whereas if we talk about learning to really empathize, to listen to what's going on, to um, pay attention to the wisdom of our bodies and of our minds and not distrust them, but learn how to trust what they're telling us, even as we acknowledge that we need to make changes in the way we operate in the world. So let's get into it without further ado. Kristen Bummer, welcome to the Health Coaches Podcast. 
Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I started my plant-based journey back in 2011, right before Forks Over Knives came out and have been on such an amazing ride since then. It's really crazy. If you'd asked me back then, if I would be teaching people plant-based, I would have thought you were crazy. (laughs) What what were you doing back then? Back then I was, so I went to uh, Cornell, I have an animal science degree and I was (laughs) at that time I was running my own dog daycare facility. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my first career was in the pet care industry and it's actually sort of interesting how that. Even though, so I, I made a career uh, in my, you know, working for other people and then leading my own business in treating pets like they were royalty. My business was called Canine Kingdom and it was where pets are royalty. And uh-huh. so it was uh, all the frou-frou stuff and doggy massages and exercise programs for dogs and all these crazy things. Um, and yet at that time and for my whole life, even though I've always been an animal lover, I was eating them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I never once made the connection about why would I treat these animals this way and then eat the other animals. So it's it was only in hindsight that I realized this is really kind of crazy. How did I miss this whole thing? The whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's also it's also a little ironic that like your business now is like human kingdom. Like yes. humans, why you treat yourself as well as you as you treat your dogs. Right. right? Isn't that the truth? Yeah, that's full circle for you. <laughs> Cool. So then what happened? Um, Okay. So I was starting to, so I was always uh, fairly fit. I was athletic and always into different sports. And then when I was late twenties, I started to get a little bit heavy for the first time. And I also noticed my blood pressure was climbing. And so despite the fact that I was working out all the time with P90X, all crazy workouts, and that fitness was an important part of my life. I was not slim and I was now experiencing high blood pressure. And it was a really uh, strange um, confusion for me because I thought I was doing all the right things. I was Mm -hmm. eating low carb. I was eating lots of lean protein, right? And staying away from junk food. So it was only as I started on this journey to figure out what's going on, what can I improve upon my family has a long history of heart disease, diabetes, cancer, you name it. And it was alarming to me that I didn't look like the elders in my family, but I had the health profile and I was heading that way. So that became very concerning. And so that's what put me on the journey to figure out an answer. And the China study landed in my lap and that was the start of all of it. And I went straight from standard American diet to vegan diet. And then it was only a few days after I finished that book that I ran across some other Pittsburghers hiking on a glacier in Alaska. And we got to talking and I learned that they were recently vegan and I didn't know any other vegans. So the fact that I ran across them They were vegan. So we got to talking and turns out they didn't eat bread. They didn't eat oil. And I thought they must surely be crazy. And we were just going to do this vegan thing until they told us about uh, prevent and reverse heart disease was the book that they had started with. And then they told us about this cool documentary coming out called Forks Over Knives. Mm -hmm. 
So I still have in my Alaska guidebook, I wrote down forks over knives and who knew that this, my whole life was about to take a turn for the better, for the much better in, in just a short amount of time. So I want to, I want to read between the lines and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but it sounds like, like everything you set out to do, you were able to do like, okay, I'm going to do CrossFit. I do CrossFit. I'm going to go vegan overnight after getting more information. Doesn't that make it hard to be a coach if you're the sort of person who doesn't need to be hit over the head 40 times? Yeah, that's an awesome question. So yes and no. So I had a very unusual story. I also had a very supportive husband who said, yeah, let's do this. We're in it together. We went and got our labs. Um, We checked labs three to four weeks later. Everything was perfectly textbook, just like you read about. It was great. And I coasted along like that for a while, but then it got challenging and I got, uh, let's see. So when I was pregnant, I ended up having a really healthy pregnancy. Everything was great until the end of it. And I sort of got a little cocky and I realized I had this whole, my weight was under control for the first time, even during pregnancy. So I felt invincible, but I also had this weird mental stuff that started to come up as in once this baby comes, I'm never going to get to go to Starbucks again. So I better go now. So I would go to Starbucks and I would get my soy latte, right? So everything was vegan. And I would then start, I started ordering scones, which you might be aware are not vegan. And so I would also stop by Panera and I would get the chocolate chip warm things that they have on the you know, on the hot plate, right Uh in the window, completely irresistible. And I started to get junk food. I'd stop at Lowe's or Home Depot. We were building a house at the time and I would find excuses to go to those stores. And the main reason I was going is because they had Cheetos in the checkout aisle and I would eat them there, ditch the wrappers in the car and drive home because my husband Uh would not have been thrilled at the idea of me eating Uh all that crap. So So this was secret eating. It was. It was. Uh-huh. Yes. And I was at the, but that by that point I had become ethically vegan and I was an activist. I was volunteering in, in doing all sorts of things in that vein. It was really powerful and passionate part of my life. And yet I was eating things that weren't vegan. And that to me was the first big red flag. What's going on here? I'm not even in control of my own decisions right now. Mm-hmm. And this and is all so, while, you were, while you were pregnant? Yes, it were, was. Were you, were, were you able to like in your mind blame the pregnancy hormones or? Yeah, a little bit. I think there was a lot of it that that felt that it was temporary. Mm. And, and there was this weird sense of urgency. Like I got to get it in now because I'm not going to be able to. And I, I just felt, I just, it's so funny, but I had this weird thing that once the baby comes, I'm going to be like a prisoner, <laughs> which mm. was not at all the case. I mean, in, in some ways it's the case, but I, there was this weird urgency is the best way to put it. You've got to get it now. And then of course it turns out once the baby came, she wouldn't sleep any other way than to be driving around in the car. So what did I do? I went to Starbucks drive through and I spent a lot of times in this Starbucks drive through with the baby in the backseat, getting my latte and scones. Right. So, and, the ba- and the baby's not going to tell. No, she didn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just disappear for hours at a time, to, you know, getting her to sleep and getting a nap in. 
while I was out um, doing that. So I also had a lot of stressful things going on at the same time. I, that dog daycare business, I was selling it. It was supposed to have sold long before it did almost a year before it did. So there was a ton of stress about that whole business aspect. And we were selling a house, building a new house, and we moved in on December 6th. And my baby was born on December 15th. So this was so much chaos and craziness in my life. Healthy eating was way on the back burner, not, not the priority that it once was. And Shortly after that, only six weeks after she was born, my father-in-law was um, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. And then six weeks after that, he was gone. And so all of these crazy life changes, my identity from being an independent person to being a mom, being a business leader to being a stay-at-home mom was a complete identity shift as well. And then everything with my father-in-law was just, it was Mm -hmm. too much for my former convictions about health to hang on. So what was it, what was it about the, the junky food and the non-vegan food? Like what, what, what was good about it? What was it doing for you? It was comfort. It was comfort. And I felt like it was, you know, and what I now hear clients talk about all the time, if they're willing to be honest about it it was, that was where my joy was coming from Mm -hmm. because things were crashing down all around me. That was the good stuff. And it was, you know, I I still had this old lingering belief that those are treats, right? Warm chocolate chip cookie. That's a treat. I deserve a treat. If anybody deserves a treat right now, it's me, you know? And so those were the kind of, you know, messages or thoughts that I had that were prevailing that kept luring me in that direction. Mm. And it's interesting because, you know, out of the three things you mentioned, obviously your father-in-law getting sick and dying is not a good thing, but the others were, right? Like right. you sold the business because you you presumably, you know, wanted out, had made something successful, were, was going to harvest it. You had a, uh, a baby, like the, the life doesn't care whether the, whether we get what we want or not, right? It's going right? to throw shit at us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Ready or not, here it comes. Yeah. It was just so much change. I think it was so much change. And the the decision fatigue of uh, building the house, I mean, our, our house was amazing and absolutely it was so exciting to get to that phase, right? So it was the culmination of all this stuff. And it just was so much all at the same time that the n- new habits slipped away old habits were right there waiting yeah. for me so aside from the the, the mental gymnastics about mm-hmm. being an ethical vegan eating non-vegan food and you know whatever whatever else was going on in your mind was there a cost to this behavior um i started to really doubt myself you know i was really questioning um, and, you know, by this point, too, I had been influencing a lot of friends and you know, I wasn't coaching or anything like that. But I a lot of I felt like a lot of people were watching all my employees were watching what we were doing. They were watching our changes. And so I started to feel like a fraud a little bit. And 
I knew that it was temporary. There's a piece of me that was never, you know, it's, and I was never sneaking meat. You know, I was never going to a, you know, a protest and then going home and eating burgers or anything like that. It wasn't, I never felt intentionally misleading, but I had a case of imposter syndrome where I, you know, knew all these things to do. And this, you know, this is one thing I hear from all my clients all the time. I knew what to do. I knew better. I'd seen the results. I turned my whole health around. I reversed hypertension. I got out of the uh, pre-diabetic range. I did all the stuff. Like I know what Mm -hmm. to do, but there was just something in my way preventing me from doing it. Mm -hmm. So how'd you solve it? So I actually found a program. I had known of Chef AJ and John Pierre. Uh, from years ago, I live in Pennsylvania, and so I'm very close to the Vegetarian Summer Fest that's held here every year in Johnstown. Well, most years, and I, I had seen both of them speak, and I was attracted to the concept. And I actually um, messaged on Facebook. I reached out to Chef AJ, and I said, "I, what's going on here? I know what to do. I'm not doing it. Is there a secret?" What's the deal? And that was the first time that I was introduced to the concept of processed food addiction. And I realized there was something very, I know a lot of people are sort of standoffish about that concept. For me, it was very freeing because when I embraced the idea that my behaviors were consistent with addictive behaviors, it would allowed me to wrap my head around the idea that, okay, well, people have figured out addiction. It's not just that I'm crazy. It's not that I just have no control and no willpower and I'm weak. People have figured out addiction. If if I follow the pathway and treat this like an addiction, maybe that'll work. Mm. And so that's the direction that I headed. Uh huh. And so what 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 did that look like? In, if we were to like follow you around with a camera crew and you're like, oh, this is an addiction. What changed? Um, so what I changed was I was practicing abstinence. So from sugar, flour, and alcohol, those were the three big changes that I made. And that was back in 2014. And, and one of the big turning points for me too, because this behavior I noticed, I, I couldn't avoid it. I realized what I was doing. I didn't like it, but I also wasn't motivated to stop it or didn't know how to stop it until mm-hmm. my daughter was a year old. And as I got ready for her birthday party, I realized I was putting on my full-term maternity clothes. And I thought, whoa, we're done. Mm -hmm. This is it for me. I'm I'm done. We're done messing around. We're going to figure this out. And that's when I sent that message and started that path. And so it was getting rid of, so remaining completely vegan, right? So back to being vegan, which I always intended to be, was just those, you know, snacks here and there that would sneak in. But being diligent about sugar, flour, and alcohol, getting it out. And just like I had gone vegan, I did all of that instantly. Overnight, we're done. I cleaned up the house. My husband was on board enough that he was okay with that. And I saw results very quickly because I went all in 100%. Now, I know that doesn't work for everybody, and I get that that's how it worked for me. And it was really good. So if you followed me around, you'd see me eating tons of veggies, tons of beans, tons of fruit and whole grains and Mm -hmm. none of the other stuff. So 
that allowed me to experience a true version of a whole food plant-based diet where there's nothing processed sneaking in there. Gotcha. So let's looking or not. <laughs> so let's fast forward to now you being a coach. I mean, one, one of the things that I realized held me back for a long time is that I thought that my own journey was a template for everyone. Mm, yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you had that or, you know, like, you know, chef AJ is very, very clear. Like when she works with people, like, you know, you do it her way. She's not, right. she's not flexible. Right? Right. And so the people who work with her know what they're getting. Right. Um, how do you work with people? Like, you know, do you get us, do you just tell people, oh, you have a processed food addiction or you allow people to maybe explore it on their own? And they you know, like, there are, there are ways in which someone could hear that and be empowered. And there's ways in which someone could hear that and be disempowered. Like, right. what's, what's, what's your approach? Yeah. And you never really know. Well, sometimes you do, or you might have a hunch and you could be wrong about that. So my approach is to meet people where they are. So I think that's one of the reasons why I stepped up to be a coach. Actually, it, it was that people reached out to me. I became a mentor in some of those programs and people would reach out to me and ask for help. And I would explain my own journey, but I would, I also got very good at troubleshooting and figuring out where people were getting their hangups and helping them to overcome them. So a very friendly, personalized approach where it's not a one size fits all. There's just no such thing. If that was the case, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need health coaches. We would just need one book that says, you know, Here's how to eat healthy. Good luck. You'll be fine. But we both know that's not how it works for people. And everybody has their own specific hangup. So um, I work with people in multiple ways. I do. Um, I, I started with a little bit of private coaching. Now I do mostly group coaching um, by way of my online courses. And then I also do small group coaching where I get to work with people more closely. And I do one-on-one -on -one private coaching as well. So depending on where we're at, right? Which level of coaching I'm working with somebody in, the approach is always to get them thinking and help them arrive at their own conclusions, right? So I'm not, I, and people ask all the time, can I eat this? Am I allowed to eat this? And my response is, you can do whatever you want. You're a grown up, right? It's not my job to tell you this is what you have to do. I'll tell you what I think and I'll tell you what the science says is the most successful way to go. And I'll help you, you know, work within that to figure out what is going to actually work for you. But at the end of the day, I'm always handing the power back to them because I don't live with them. I can't make their choices. And if it's, if my, if I have any effect on them at all, it can only be to empower them to make their own choices that are going to benefit them. So when people come to you, do they, they typically know, they may not know the details, but they typically know the general direction, like, okay, you whole food plant-based. And are they, are they typically mystified that they can't do it? Uh-huh. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the greatest majority of my clients are people who have been plant-based for some time, mm. sometimes many years. And Either they were many years ago and they've fallen away and they won't even come back to it. That happens sometimes, but more often they're, they keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying, and they're just not seeing the results they want to see. And so they're looking for 
some missing piece, right? We're finding that missing piece of the puzzle to have it all come together. And you said when they say they're not finding the results, do you mean like in terms of the outcome or behaviorally? Like, Both. hey, I'm doing everything perfectly and I'm still not losing weight or... I keep sneaking cheese and stuff like that. Right. So it's probably, it's more the latter. There are some people that feel like they're doing everything right and it's not working, but usually when we dig a little deeper, we find there's some tweak that they can make that would make things better. Um, there are some people that I've come across who don't fit that mold, but the majority do. And then uh, the others are, it's more behavioral. I know what to do, but I'm not doing it. I keep going back to stuff. I don't know why I'm so tempted. Or I could do it if only my family was on board. I'm sure I'd be mm -hmm. fine if I had more time, right? So there's some kind of thing that they've identified is holding that back, uh -huh. which where it may or may not be the thing to work on, right? Sometimes that's not really the thing. It's something else. Right. Yeah, uh, there's a game that I play with clients once they come to trust me. Is I'll we'll, we'll turn we'll linguistically say what's what's your um, biggest reason for not doing X, and then we turn it into my favorite. What's your favorite excuse? Nice, I like that. Right. Yeah, uh, you can't you good. can't give that to people too soon. Otherwise, it's like a slap. But like yes, when, that's right. You can sort of <laughs> smile. Right. You know, there's a, there's a way in which you can become sort of a co-conspirator and go, yeah, I, I did that. I know your game. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that, you know, that that gives a coach such a great advantage when you know all the tricks or like you know what people are thinking and what they're telling themselves because you've done it, too. Of course. Right. So it sounds like you've you've told yourself, you know, the the addiction uh, rationalizations and lies. But when you make a decision, it sounds like you don't look back. And in my experience, that is not at all common mm -hmm. that people will make the decision. We'll have a session they're like, okay, yeah, I'm really good. And then next week they're like, yeah, like it slipped away, like the air from a, from a, a tire with a hole in it. Right. Um, how do you help those people who don't seem to be able to keep a promise to themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing that sets me apart is that, you know, that personally allows me to do that is I've done so much work in the personal development, self-help space on myself that I have the, the mental faculty and the belief systems in place that help me succeed. And I think that's the place where most people are falling short. The reason that they're really struggling is because they're missing that piece. Their self-esteem is lacking from years of um, experiences that tell them they're not good enough, whether from themselves or from other people. So, so really we go to work on that piece of it right away. So we build up beliefs, we attack all the limiting beliefs. And, you know, like you said, your favorite excuse would, you know, that's what that's all about. Um, like I don't have enough time or my family's not supportive or I'll never get this right because I never have, or I'll probably always be this way. I don't have enough willpower, all the different things. So so we go to work on that piece right away and we sort of attack the limiting beliefs and get rid of them and then instill new beliefs that are actually going to be empowering and help them to take action because the actions are great, right? If you can, you know, come live in my house and I'll feed you all my food and you'll see the results. 
But if you go home and you go back to your old habits because you don't think you can do it, then we've wasted our time, you know? So it's not just cooking this, cook this food, eat this food, have a great life. It's all the mental and emotional pieces behind it that actually make that possible for somebody to carry through. Mm. Do, would you mind talking about some, your own uh, self-help? Yeah. Like what's, what's, what do you, what's been helpful to you? What do you think coaches need to have in their, in their personal tool belt in order yeah. to, to work successfully with clients? Sure. So uh, I started following Tony Robbins when I was in high school and would listen to some of his series and things. <clears throat> and I've gone to conferences, not his conference, but I've gone to other um, self-development conferences. And w- one of the biggest things that more recently has been such an impact with me, I did a lot of training with Stacy Martino, who was trained by Tony Robbins, but she leads a program, an organization called relationshipdevelopment.org generally focused on marital relationships, but on day one, you find out, surprise, your relationships actually all revolve around you. And so you've got to go to work on yourself in order for your other relationships to come into line. Mm -hmm. And so, so I've spent, uh, you know, a year and a half ish or two in her programs, working on myself, working on how I relate to other people, and watching all the different relationships come in to line, just like the textbook says, right? So with my husband, with my daughter, with my parents, my sister, um, and then professionally as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a, just a completely different way of looking at the world and how you fit into it. And so that has been monumental for me as far as de- just developing me into the coach that I am today. Gotcha. Um, go ahead. So, so I'm, I'm hearing, and I'm probably projecting this, but a little bit of a, of a, of a contradiction between like coming into relationship with yourself in a respectful and loving way and disputing be- your beliefs, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I have this, I have this limiting belief and the, like, I have to get rid of it and extirpate it and replace it with something better Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like a disrespect in a way. Okay. Like how do you how do you square that circle? Yeah. So there's a let's say a good example. Um let me just try to think real quick of a, a relationship one that would make sense. So okay. So let's just say um you know, everybody in my family walks all over me. Right. And so I start to feel like I'm not good enough because I've got to take care of everybody else first. Everybody else is demanding and I need to uh, take care of them. And then I come last. Right. And that's, that's a default behavior for so many people, especially women who are, you know, sort of fall into a caretaker role. We take care of everybody else first, we come last. And so our self-care is non-existent. And then things really start to fall apart from there. So a limiting belief that is being played out there is that I don't matter. And when you go to work from a relationship development standpoint, um, you know, and what happens too is if I'm taking care of everybody else, I'm giving out, giving out, giving out, right. I'm exhausted to the point of exhaustion where I've got nothing left for myself. 
I feel like I'm doing a good thing because I'm taking care of everybody else. But the problem is that I'm eventually going to feel resentful because I'm taking care of everybody else and they're not giving me anything in return. Right. And then I start to have this sort of scoreboard that I'm keeping where I gave you this, you owe me that it's all subconscious, right? I'm not, it's not actually happening, but in my mind, every time I do something nice for somebody else, I expect something in return. Mm -hmm. And when I feel like I'm getting walked all over, then I start to perceive myself as not good enough. I'm not earning their respect. And so I'm just going to try harder. And that's actually called pleasing. That's not really giving to them. I'm pleasing to them. I'm trying to placate others in order to earn their love and respect. And so a relationship development approach to that would be to actually respect myself first, to give wholeheartedly without expecting anything in return, and to stop that scoreboard of you owe me. I did this, you owe me that. Right. So in it's tapping into a place of authenticity where I don't just say yes to everybody anymore. If somebody asks me to do things, I run it through my filter. Does that fit into my schedule? Am I giving up something I don't want to give up in order to do that? Is it authentic to me to say yes? And this is, you know, everything from, you know, signing my daughter up for a new sports activity to saying yes to a volunteer obligation or opportunity to hopping on a podcast, right? Is mm-hmm. that, does that fall in line with what I've laid out as the things that are important to me? So it actually is authentic because the limiting belief there was that I'm not good enough and that everybody else needs to come first. And so when I can address that and realize, okay, that's actually not true. I'm creating that. I'm actually accidentally pleasing everybody else because I think that's the best way to earn their love. Mm -hmm. And when I can see that differently, now I can be authentic to myself. I absolutely still give to everybody. It's not as if, you know, we're putting our hands up saying, I got to take care of me. You go fend for yourself, but it's coming from a very different place and a very different intentional energy behind it. And so the outcome becomes different. Now, when I do that in multiple different areas, of course, that's just one example. But when I do that in multiple different areas, now I feel like a whole person. I feel like I have my place in the world and things can sort of flow more smoothly from there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So yeah, what, what, what I'm hearing as a, as a challenge though is before when I had this limiting belief, I knew what to do. Like I didn't have to make choices. I didn't have to evaluate based on these new criteria. And what I find with a lot of my clients is that the thing that like the in in erring, unerring gyroscope or GPS for behavior is like body sensation. It's like, right, like we can think about it. Like, oh, does this make my values? I can think, you know, Benjamin Franklin closes and flow charts and all this stuff to decide. But Ultimately, the people I know who are who are successfully moving through life are are, are acting on sensation. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like you know, oh, this podcast opportunity feels good. That saying no to that client feels good. It's right. Yeah. And when we are, especially when as health coaches, when we're dealing with people's food, it's like the food is the thing that dulls 
our ability to pay attention to those intuitions and sensations that come from the body and not from the mind. Right. Yeah. I think one of the most uh, important pieces that people simply must learn how to do is to understand why they're going to food, why they're eating in the first place. And I think so much of the time it has stemmed from some kind of discomfort. I just got into a fight, you know, with my boyfriend. And so I come home and I'm all riled up or just some jerk cut me off in traffic. I come home, I'm all riled up and I go right to the kitchen. I'm in the fridge. What's here? What's there? Or before I even make it home, going through a drive-through and it's all these different things. And now more than ever, we're living in this state of, you know, constant stress and overwhelm for the most part. And it drives so many people to food because that's where the comfort has come from in the past. Mm -hmm. And so they have this discomfort stemming from many different sources, all of them driving to seeking comfort in some kind of food. And usually not, it's usually not the broccoli and the spinach. And so one of the biggest things I try to do is to help people create a pattern interrupt so that when they have this, ongoing pattern that's always going to happen. I have the discomfort and then sort of triggered to take action on it. If we can, in that moment, try to divert the behavior so that they actually have a moment to think about it and consider, okay, what's actually going on here? What am I feeling? What is, what am I all riled up about? Okay. If it's that I got into a fight, you know, with somebody is this food going to solve that? Or is it just going to stuff it down and help me numb out so that I don't have to feel it right now? And when we realize it's the latter, then we get into solution mode. We think, well, what would make me feel better? Well, actually, maybe if I maybe I need to write a note to that person, or maybe I just need to write in my journal, just get this stuff out. Maybe I just need to go for a walk. I need to breathe, listen to music, a million different things we can do that will actually help solve the problem instead of just stuffing it down where now we've got two problems, right? Because now we feel crappy because we just ate junk food and we still have that original problem that hasn't gone anywhere. So that I, I love the idea of the sensations and also recognizing how we're responding to various sensations and various impulses, I think is really key. Right. And I'm glad to hear you talk about, you know, the, a, a root cause of, of binging as a response to discomfort because there's a there's an argument in I think in the whole food plant based community in particular that I think false you know has sort of false poles which is either it's because it's addictive food and you know that's sort of like the pleasure trap thing like none of us right. are meant to eat this and of course if you like don't worry about your emo- like just stop eating that and, right and then there's the other camp that's all about you know, love yourself and you know eat intuitively yeah. and and they both are useful for different sure. people at different times and i've seen too many coaches get very dogmatic about yeah. one or the other and try to impose a model right. in, in a very inflexible way and it's ironic because right. as coaches i think what you know what we're really going for is not to change their behavior to a particular thing but to increase their flexibility yeah yeah I agree. And it's, you know, I always 
hear people talking about, oh, I messed up. I, you know, I did this thing. I didn't mean to do it. And they, you know, they get so down on themselves and always remind people, this is not a game of perfection, right? We're not trying to get to the point where, like you said, we, we never, ever touch that food. We never dream about that food ever again. And we just go on, you know, and having dreams of, uh, all this wonderful whole food, plant-based food and this perfect life. But actually we just try to get to a point where, we don't dip so low, right? So if you dip into food that doesn't serve you, we don't stay there. You know, we don't go very deep, but we don't stay there for very long, right? So we get, it's about being flexible and adapting to no matter what comes because there's like, you started in the beginning, life is just going to keep throwing stuff at you. And so we've got to be ready for it, you know, whatever it is. And our response needs to be as good as it can be for our own best benefit does, which does not mean that we need to be perfect about any of it. Right. We're, we're all humans. We all, you know, operate on a spectrum. There's, there's no real black or white. We just have to figure out how we best operate in the shades of gray and, and do what actually feels good now and in the long term, not just what feels good right this second, because that's that's rarely going to lead to the best long term outcome, right? <laughs> right, right. I want to ask you about one more thing before I let, yeah. I let you go back. You you mentioned earlier that you're doing more group coaching than individual. It sort of morphed yeah. into that, and then you know you also talked about Tony Robbins, whom I also like. I think in my late twenties, got really into it yeah. and, and it wasn't in a good way for me. Okay. Like, you know, there's ways in which you can hear his message and kind of become an asshole. Oh, really? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> like, like, well, I did it. I managed to do it. Yeah. Like, that's like, I would see, I, like I remember one day, like seeing a homeless guy on a bench and going, boy, he really should learn how to get into state. <laughs> Like, That's hilarious. Know, I, I, I cringe it. when I look back. But, but yeah. there's there's parts there's parts of that whole self-help ethos that again it really focuses on the self as an yeah. individual atom. And I'm curious of like how what's your um what's your journey been around helping because like I find people who are not in community have a much harder time. Like they're, we're asking oh, to yeah. do something really unnatural. Yes. And, you know, now with COVID, with communities being fractured, with so many things, like, yes. ha, I wonder if, you, if you've evolved at all in your practice and your thinking around the unit of intervention from the individual to something larger, more societal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, there's no, I don't think you can disconnect the two. We're also we're so connected, and more so than I think we we realize or are willing to admit. And we must work together, and that includes working on ourselves, right? So it's it's sort of a dance, I think, in a way. And you know, it's funny if I'm if I my journey has just taken some evolutions and it's almost like it cycles back, right? I keep working on different things and seeing them in a different way. And so just for example, I, you know, when I, I made my dietary change for my own health, right? That was the number one thing that I was trying to do. So there was all self there, right? Just how can I be the best person that I want to be and be around for a long time and enjoy the life. So I started in that realm and then 
got really turned on to or maybe turned off from all the craziness in factory farming. And as an animal lover, I jumped right to that. And I started volunteering with the Humane Society of the United States and working with Humane PA and, you know, working on policy change at a big level, because I realized obviously very quickly, I can make my changes, but unless we're making massive changes, this stuff's not going to change. So I jumped quickly to that and also realized that while I, while the policy change is important to me, I felt that I was more pulled towards the helping people help themselves. And while they're doing that, they're changing their consumption of animals, right? So my goal sort of shifted to, well, let me focus on helping individuals and they'll be more motivated to help themselves then they will be to stop eating meat because of the ethical convictions, right? And because everybody's different, we have different motivations and that's good. But that to me was one way to go about it. And while I was doing that, while I was working, you know, individually with people and starting up my program, I was also working in my community and beyond uh, at an institutional level. So knocking on the doors at our football stadium and asking them to put more vegan items on the menu and doing the same with the ballpark and baseball park. And the local hospitals. And I, it's crazy to me that a conversation and programs that I helped to spark have started massive widespread change in a massive hospital system in my backyard. And now they're influencing thousands and thousands of people. And the change is slower than I'd like it for sure. But it all, it just starts with a spark. And so, so part of my vision is always reminding that we're all connected and whoever I touch is just this ripple effect that goes so far beyond. So if I can help people have amazing results for themselves, that will inspire the people that watch them, their kids and the people that they touch. And then, you know, we just expand from there. So it's all in the greater good. And I think it's okay if it is sparked by self-interest because people aren't going to do it if they're not benefiting personally. So I feel like it, there's a, a big connection there and, uh, and community is super important. And that's one of the reasons why I love group coaching is because people are all coming together, moving through a course together and, they're shooting their ideas and their struggles off of each other. And then I'm also, of course, right there to, you know, offer guidance and support as the coach. So it's this, this whole perfect system of uh, togetherness. <laughs> gotcha. So for people who want to find out more about your work and maybe work with you, where should they go? Yeah. So my website is the forever diet.org. And that's a great place to start. You'll see my new book has just been released. So that's available there. It's also available on Amazon. And, and it's called I, The Forever Diet? My book is Baby Got Back in Her Pants. Oh, okay. And uh, and then I also have a Facebook group that's open to the public. And that's called The Plant-Based Success Club. So that is another place on Facebook to come for community. It's completely free. You don't need to be in my programs in order to be in that group. It's a, I should say it's a private group, but it's, it's free to the public as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anything you want to add that I haven't asked about? Um, I think the only thing is that I, I do a lot of intuitive coaching, which 
I think is so essential. And, and for coaches that are new or maybe not so new, I would just encourage them to use their intuition and, and to go with it and, and really trust it. A lot of times I think we, we go step-by-step step, maybe through a system, especially if you've been at it a while, maybe you have a specific system to follow, but it's so important to remember to keep it personal. And um, I like to listen more than I talk, although you wouldn't know it today. Yeah. <laughs> but different well, format yeah, I'm, today. I'm, I'm but... the one asking the question, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just trust yourself and, and it's so important to just get out there and, and help people and, and people are so ready. So ready for change. I know uh, it's an, it's a blessing uh, to be able to yeah. be a coach and help them through it. I'm curious. I was going to let you go because that was like the, the final words, but now you've kind of caught me with the intuition. <laughs> okay. Um, thing. So what, what do you mean by intuition and what do you, what, what kind of dues do you have to pay to begin to trust it for yourself? Mm. It's a great question. So I think this, you know, I'm going to sound crazy when I say that it's a, it's a little woo-woo, but I, I feel like there's, there's voices, messages that, that I get, that I think a lot of people get, and maybe some people more sensitive than others, but I, I love to just talk with people and have no idea, like we didn't, you know, do any preparation for our conversation today. We just talk about what comes up, right? And I think that that's a really, so I think the biggest piece of trusting intuition is being able to walk into a coaching session without an agenda, right? And to ask a lot of questions. And as you think of other questions, maybe jot them down if the client's speaking at the time and then come back to it. If you hear them say something that's kind of curious, dig a little bit deeper and come back to it. And so many times I'll, I'll hear people say something that, that they would have just glossed over. And I think a lot of coaches would have just glossed over, but if we stop and go back to it and dig deeper into some of those things, we find stuff that's really interesting. And sometimes that unlocks the whole puzzle. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a bit of an abstract idea, but I think it's just a matter of trusting that you're helping people. And, and one of the things I do in preparation before each call is I, I try to have five minutes of just quiet time and I'll do some deep breathing just to clear out my own stuff that I don't want to bring with me into a mm -hmm. call so that I'm open and, you know, ready to help. And I'm a hundred percent attentive to the person that I'm talking to. And I, I bring with, so we talked a little bit about limiting beliefs, but I, I bring empowering beliefs such as I wouldn't be introduced to this person if I couldn't help them. Mm. So I know going into it, there must be something that we're going to uncover. And maybe it's today, maybe it's not today. Maybe it's in a future time, or maybe it gets touched upon today. And three days later, they'll be going on with their life and something will click because of something we said. So I don't know how you foster that other than just, practicing and trusting mm. that you are helping people in some way, even if you can't see it. So even if they don't walk away with, you know, this new food plan and an exercise plan and all this stuff that's important, but it's also relatively superficial, right? There's a balance of all of it that needs to come together. And 
And I think just know that by being there and listening, like really listening. And I think that's, that's where the intuition comes from is listening. And then when you have a thought, it's okay to go with it, even if it doesn't seem that important. Well, you know, I'll, I'll reflect back to you a couple of things that I heard that, yeah. that I think um, for me kind of op- can operationalize intuition a little bit. Um, yeah. One is obviously the listening. The, and listening with curiosity, mm, right? Like yeah. when I, like, I am never bored as a coach when I approach it, like this is a, there's a really good story here. Yeah. Like, like it's almost, it's almost feels a little self-indulgent. Like when I'm <laughs> bored, when someone's boring me, I'm like, this isn't working. It's not working for them because people are so fascinating, yeah. Right. And like, yes, you, you, like your story about everything's perfect. And then all of a sudden I'm sneaking Starbucks with an infant in the back. I'm like, you know, as long as you can't talk, we're good. <laughs> that's right. right. Like, like that's a movie scene. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. so, so the, you know, for me, the, the curiosity about like, where's the story here? Where's the juice? Right. You know, entertain right. me, make me like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I want some jollies here. Like right. where's the good stuff. Right. Um, and then the second thing that I, that I heard, I don't know if you spoke it um, in words, but I'm certainly feeling it from you, is a profound respect for your clients' abilities and motivation. And this is something I actually see, I actually don't see in a lot of coaches um, that like the coaching profession basically believes that people are unmotivated mm. and we got to figure out how to motivate them. Yeah. And that feels very disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're saying is people like we have to listen for those little throwaways and nuances because that's what's hiding the real problem. Yeah. And that pe- yeah, if, pe- if people knew what the problem was, they would have solved it. And yes. so they're, they're, by definition, they're just trying to solve the wrong problem. They're trying as hard as they can. They're right. not lazy. Right. And right. they're not weak. They're not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's it's crazy. And I, I've had some amazing conversations with people just because I was willing to keep asking questions and keep nudging a little bit. And, and like you said, you keep, you have to know when it's safe to do that and you've got to make people feel safe. Right. So you have to, um, you know, sort of go through the steps to, to help them feel like they can trust you, but you know, but when you can get to that point and you can nudge a little bit and ask the questions it's amazing what comes out. You know, I've had uh, worked with somebody who had been plant-based for years, um, had been, you know, in the movement and and helping a lot of people and involved in, you know, specific programs. And yet she was really struggling uh, to stick with it herself. Right. So she was some, you know, she could, you know, you could hand her a mic and she could tell you everything to do. She knew all the, all the stuff, all the science, but couldn't do it. And in one, maybe 20 minute conversation, I just started asking questions and I knew I could go there with her. And when we asked, you know, when I asked, you know, well, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I, you know, was leading down a path, allowing her to lead, but I was guiding her. And in the end I said, so, so when and her biggest struggle was, I don't understand why I know all this stuff and I'm still not doing it. And when we got down the path, I'll, I'll spare you the middle, but you get to the end, I said, so what is it you're really looking for when, you know, you're going to that food and tears started flowing. 
And she said, love, mm-hmm. it's love. I said, all right, well, let's work on that. Right. And let's work on those things. The food will come, we'll get there. And it did. And we have, but we had to address that piece. If I had just stuck with, here's the meal plan. Here's the thing. You go do these things, get motivated. I'll, I'll text you every day. I'll keep you going. We would have missed the whole point, but because we kept going and she was willing to go there. She was open. She was a million percent motivated to solve this thing. So she was willing to come along with me in this, what, what can be an uncomfortable conversation. Sometimes we got to that life-changing realization that, oh my gosh, that's what's driving this decision. Okay. Yeah. Now we yeah. can solve that piece. <clears throat> yeah. That's become a staple of my coaching over the past few months. And I, I think I asked you at the beginning, like, what did that do for you? What was good about it? And I find that that question about someone's habits that yeah. they're ashamed of. Right. First of all, makes oh. them, oh, so they're not they're like, oh, someone thinks there's something good about it. Like, I don't have to hide it. Right. And then. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. That's the question is whatever what are you good getting is doing it? for you. Yeah. What's the payoff? That's right. And then like, how's that working for you? Are you right. getting, you know, on a scale of one to 10, where right. 10 is you get exactly what you need for as long as you need. And then right. usually, it's usually like a two or a three. Yeah. And then it's like, well, how do you want to, you know. Yeah. As, a, as opposed to like people come to me very often thinking that I'm going to be the guy who, who whips them into austerity. Yeah. And yeah. when they discover they just, that actually they're going to enhance their own life, that this, right. is, this is not restrictive or punishing, mm-hmm. um, then interesting things happen. Yeah. It's amazing. It, it's, a really, it's really a gift to be a part of that process for people. Oh, it sure is. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kristen, thank you so much. We were, we were going to talk for 30. We, we talked for almost an hour because you, you, you keep dangling. It's like you're running, uh, you know, the, 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 I feel like the greyhound running after the, right. ra- the, the rabbit. Yeah. And then there's this, but wait, there's more. Yeah. Well, so I, I reserve the right to email you again for a, uh, for a return visit. Anytime. Absolutely. It's been stuff. a pleasure to talk with you. You too. Thank you so much. And um, thanks for all the work you do in in the world and for taking the time today. Likewise. Likewise. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. All right. I hope you found that useful. I hope it wasn't too much uh, inside baseball for those of you who are not coaches. I kind of believe, though, that coaching conversations are really good for everyone. You know, when I teach coaches, they often ask me, um, you know, would you reveal this technique to a client? Do you want them to know what you're doing? And the answer is always yes. There's there's complete transparency in the way I coach. There's no like, okay, this is the secret technique and they can't know what it is or else it's not going to work. Because ultimately, coaching is a process of dialogue. It's a process of deepening. It's a process of dropping assumptions. And this is something that we all need to be able to do for ourselves um, as well as for others. In fact, you know, when I when I train coaches, the first thing we got to do is work on ourselves, on our own assumptions, on our own noise, because if we're full of noise in our own heads, we're not going to be able to help anybody else. So really helping another person and helping yourself are really the same thing. There's there's, of course, differences and nuances, but I don't think there's anything that I could talk about with a health coach that wouldn't be useful to the client of a health coach to to ordinary people. So I hope you agree with that. If not, you probably stopped listening a long time ago. 
Um, OK, what are we going to talk about now? Let's talk about running news. Um, it's really, really cold out, so I'm running faster. <laughs> just, just it's too damn cold to run slow. So uh, my times are improving a little bit and I'm wearing the knee brace all the time and um, really enjoy um, the frizz Saturday Frisbee. I feel like I'm starting to get a little bit of stamina back. Um, so uh, hopefully that will keep keep going and growing this morning. My back was hurting, so I ended up doing 20 minutes on the water rower in the house. Partly also it was really cold. It was like 27 degrees and I think I just wimped out a little bit. So did water rower and a bunch of push ups um, in garden news. Not much. We got a, uh, a packet of uh, I think grow your own oyster mushrooms. They're not in the garden. They're in the living room and uh, Mia is going and misting them with water uh, every couple of hours. So it's like having a new baby in the house or, or a new puppy, except it doesn't you know, cry or poop. It just sits there and hopefully will produce some um, delicious oyster mushroom fruiting bodies uh, at some point. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chawley, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.